On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about some folks claiming we're abusing Scripture. Yeah, that's a pretty serious accusation, at least as far as we're concerned. We take that quite seriously. Yeah, not everybody would. Somebody says you're abusing the Scriptures. Well, let's find out what they have in mind, and we'll talk about that tonight. All right, we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study we're live on the virtual bible study for thursday february 20th 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls again. Kyle, welcome. That's good to be here. Good to hear you here, and uh, we're glad that I you I think listen. we should start calling Kyle chairman of the board. He will. He, that's, that, make, that might work. I don't know about that. He's the chairman of the board. He was a, and he was a big talker last last week, and so you got to got to keep up that same, same level of performance tonight, Kyle. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and we're glad that you're listening on the program tonight. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the uh, question is the phone number to use. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. If you're listening to us live, sign in and share your comments with other listeners on the program tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you. The program is always better when we get participation from our listeners. So please help us with that. Um, we've got we've got several uh, email emails that have come in. Keep sending your emails. Get in the chat room. Let's talk this up. Shout out to Brian out in uh, Cal- uh, California. Yeah. Uh, we got a picture that he had sent along. of. He was listening to the program last week about the Church of Scientology, and he was in Hollywood, California. And he saw it. Near the epicenter of Scientology there, yeah. I would imagine, yeah. and saw the Church of Scientology and uh, sent a picture. So Yeah, thanks, Brian. Yeah. We enjoyed seeing that. And he was going to sell out. He said, he said he might go in for some free donuts if they had those <laughs> and just listen to what they had to say. I don't know. Oh, boy. All right. All right, so we don't have a lot of housekeeping to do tonight, so let's jump right into our questions that we sent out earlier today to our update list. Remember, get on that list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, put me on the list. To our update list earlier today, we put out these questions. Now, this comes from a, um, I guess it's a blog site. It's uh, it's called theconversation.com. And you actually discovered this uh, article, or Kyle, Kyle did. did. Kyle, yeah, Kyle. Kyle. Okay, uh, and and the the title of the blog post was "Using the Bible Against LGBTQ People Is an Abuse of Scripture." And so, so I think all of our listeners by now, unfortunately, probably know what those letters stand for. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people. So using the Bible against those people, we we sort of generalize that by saying using the Bible to condemn homosexuality. Mm-hmm. They're claiming that we're abusing the scriptures when we do so. So before I read the questions we sent out, I want to read a few highlights from this article. Mm-hmm. To sort of get, and and by the way, uh, I can't. The the link is way too long. I put it in our email today, but it's too long to to read it off to you. But you'll just have to go with what I have to say here. So here's what the blogger said. The Church of England issued pastoral guidance from the House of Bishops to its clergy on January 23rd uh, this year. Following the legal introduction of heterosexual civil partnerships in 20. 19. So apparently the Church of England recognized civil partnerships. I guess that just means living together kind of arrangements. Um, uh, but they uh, basically they reiterated their position on sexual relationships outside of heterosexual marriage. So apparently, I'm going to correct that. Apparently they were saying marriage is marriage and, and uh, relationships outside of marriage are not right. But they were really... they were reiterating their position on sexual relationship outside of heterosexual marriage. Okay. It states sexual relationship outside the heterosexual marriage are regarded as falling short of God's purpose for human beings. Okay. 
So uh, that was pr- probably a pretty broad statement, but in read, you can read into that that they were also condemning homosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on to say the church's official position on homosexuality is that it is, quote, incompatible with Scripture. So in October of 2018, four bishops from the Diocese of Oxford published guidance designed, quote, to advise local clergy and congregations in order to support LGBTQ people and their families and to learn from the insights of the LGBTQ um, people about church togetherness. Several months later, more than a 100 concerned Anglicans signed an open letter criticizing that guidance from the Oxford uh, Diocese. Uh, The letter claimed that the attempt at inclusivity by the Oxford bishops actually served to exclude those who hold their traditional reading of Scripture. Their response stated, quote, We cannot see how it is right to accept as Christians... As Christian leaders, those who advocate lifestyles that are not consistent with New Testament teaching. So they got a little war going on here in the Church of England. The, there's a faction that says we ought to recognize homosexual relationships. The official church position is that we don't. And there are people in the Church of England say, if, if you accept these people, in other words, if you take this broad effort at inclusivity to include these people, you're actually excluding us who think that that's not right. Mm-hmm. And so they got they got a tiger got a by the tail mess here. on their hands. Okay. Yeah. So the letter writers are. So the blogger goes on now. Now this is back to the blogger. Those who wrote that letter saying that. Uh, the homosexual lifestyle is not consistent with New Testament teaching. Those letter writers may be referring to New Testament teaching from Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10, and in Romans 1, verses 26 and 27, which describe how those who are sexually immoral will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This example is one of many cases where conservative Christians deploy biblical verses to bolster arguments against same-sex marriage, transgender identities, adoption, and parenting by LGBTQ people. Within the Bible, there are a number of texts which have been used as a weapon against LGBTQ people known as clobber text or texts of terror. But using biblical verses in this way is actually an abuse of Scripture. It must stop urgently. Many LBGT LGBTQ Christians struggle to reconcile their faith with their gender or sexual identities, which can lead to self-harm or suicide. So the position that this blogger is taking is that those folks in the Church of England who say we we find homosexuality to be inconsistent with New Testament teaching, this blogger is saying those people are using certain texts Uh, abusively and harmfully to people. He goes on to say, uh, the Bible is often used as a source of authority, but it is misleading to call it the Word of God. In fact, Christianity teaches that the Word of God is not Scripture, but it is Jesus Christ. As such, Jesus said nothing explicit about same-sex relationships or transgender people. In the New Testament, it is Paul who teaches about sexual morality, not Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, he said, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will enter, or will inherit the kingdom of God. In his provocative book, The Savage Text, The Use and Abuse of the Bible, theologian Adrian Thatcher cautions that Christians who mobilize the Bible to argue against the inclusion of others actually commit bibliolatry, worshiping the Bible rather than God. How do you do that? Worshiping the Bible rather than How God. How can you worship the Bible not instead of God? Well, or, well, maybe we need to comment about that. Finally, one other argument he makes here, conservative Christians adopt a pick-and-mix approach to Scripture, selecting what appeals to suit their prejudices while ignoring other texts. The the excerpt from Corinthians above lists alongside homosexuality, uh, uh, alongside homosexuals, it lists adulterers, the, the greedy, and drunkards, to name a few. 
thankfully, these and other uh, offerings of the biblical buffet, such as divorce, owning slaves, and the role of women in the church, have to some extent been sympathetically reinterpreted by the church. Finally, one of the yardsticks for measuring how in touch the Church of England is with the contemporary life lies in ongoing discussions about the acceptance and inclusion of LGBTQ people in the church. However, the current situation shows the diminishing authority of the church and the Bible in everyday life in the United Kingdom. The Church of England faces a generational crisis with only 2% of young people identifying with it in the United Kingdom. The decline points to how the church's current position is seemingly hostile and incompatible with socially liberal views, particularly those toward the LGBTQ people. Maybe that's a little bit too much reading. I apologize if it is, but I wanted you to get the gist of what this guy's saying. So we got a war going on in the Church of England. That's not the only denominations that have in this fight. That's going on in a lot of the, especially mainline <clears throat> denominations, because there's a, a, a liberal element in all of those who are wanting to say homosexuality is acceptable. And there are those who are pushing back and trying to hold the line. So this is about the Church of England, but I think we see that that conflict ongoing in lots of denominations. So here's the questions. Finally, here are the questions that we sent out earlier today. Number one, comment on the two passages cited in the article. Do they, in fact, condemn homosexuality? And that's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. We'll talk about those verses particularly. Number two, the article argues that Jesus never spoke out explicitly against homosexuality. Rather, it was Paul who did so. The conclusion they make is that we can't condemn it since Jesus didn't. Is that true or false? Why or why not? Number three, it's claimed that conservative Christians like to pick and mix the Bible, choosing to condemn homosexuals while ignoring adulterers, the greedy, drunkards, which are in the same list of sins. How would you reply to that? Okay. Number four, the article claims that the Church of England is experiencing significant decline in numbers and becoming irrelevant in English culture because of its position on such matters. What do you think about that? Okay. And finally, if we have time, I want to go to an argument that that gets thrown out there. The homosexuals argue that the sin of Sodom was not homosexuality. Uh, can you prove that it was or wasn't? If we have, we'll get to that one if we have time. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com in the chat room tonight. We'd like to hear your comments as they're filing in there. Sign in and chat with other listeners on the program tonight. Okay, you want to get right into those questions? Yeah, let's just. Uh, we got just a, a, a just a minute before uh, we take a break. Let's look uh, at one of those texts that was cited in the article that strongly. I think speaks to the problem of homosexuality, the sin of homosexuality. First Corinthians six verses nine through 11. I'm going to read first the King James version. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, the word in the, the, the word two two parts of that a list of sins condemning a a a whole list of sins but the king james mentions the effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind the uh, new american standard version there main uh, holds on to the word effeminate but then calls it the effeminate nor homosexuals the english standard version just simply says men who practice homosexuality uh, so I think it's it's very clear that those who engage in these sins, and there's a whole list of sins there. We'll talk more about that later in our program. We're not trying to exclude any of those sins. All those sins are going to what? Keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're engaged in these sins. So I don't know how you get around that. I mean, I, uh, are, are we misusing the scripture? I would use, by the way, that same text to condemn drunkenness. I would use that same text to condemn fornication and adultery. I would use that same text to condemn thieves and covetous people. 
Are, uh, so we're not supposed to use that text to condemn those sins either? I mean, uh, it, 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 either, it either is or isn't uh, legitimate condemnation of sin, and in the list of sins that it condemns, homosexuality is very plain. Now, is that a clobber text? Well, that's what that guy calls it—a clobber text, a text of terror. A thief may feel clobbered by that text. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, he has—he should feel victimized by. He, he should—he should be scared. He should be. Uh, well, the, the other <laughs> the expression, of, text of terror. Text of terror was the other uh, expression that he used. Uh, and and you should have terror. You should be Absolutely. terror. You should be in terror if you are engaging in those sins and will not repent. But here's the key: the last verse in that text says. Paul says to the Corinthians, to whom he is writing, he says, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. All right, now, they, some of them had been thieves. Could they continue to be thieves? Some of them had been drunks. Could they continue to be drunks? Some of them had been extortioners. The newer versions call them swindlers. Could they continue in that practice? No. Some of them had been fornicators and adulterers. Could they continue in those practices? No. You've got to quit doing those sins. Well, wouldn't that also apply to the sin of homosexuality? If you had been among those who practice homosexuality, wouldn't the argument about the other sins also be an argument concerning the sin of homosexuality? You have got to quit doing that. All right. Either either it condemns all of them or it condemns none of them. Right. You can't say, well, we're not going to look at that one. We're just going to overlook that one. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we go along in the program. We need to get a break. We'll get this. Uh, we get a break, and then we'll get your comments. Uh, share them in the chat room tonight. It's pretty silent there. 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College U Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any different plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. You'll never get ahead of anyone as long as you try to get even with them. Maintaining the right attitude is easier than regaining the right attitude. Always do more than is required of you. Don't find fault. Find a remedy. If you want something done right, give the task to someone who is already busy. Man, wish I'd said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight as we look at uh, folks who claim that we're abusing Scripture when we claim the Scripture condemns homosexuality. We're comparing that claim. Uh, we obviously don't want to abuse Scripture. Uh, what, uh, what about the claim that we're abusing the Scripture in our position? Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. We might pick up a, a, a few of our comments here. Dwight in Iowa says concerning the passage in First Corinthians six nine through eleven, Paul tells the Corinthians that these, along with other sins mentioned, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He told them in verse eleven, "Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified." In other words, they had repented from their past sinful life and had their sins washed away. They no longer live that way, but as children of God now. I think that's the right point, right? Exactly. All right. Uh, we have Jim in Kentucky. He says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, speaks of those who are fornicators, abusers of themselves with mankind. Either of those would include homosexuals, he says. Kent in Georgia says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, condemns homosexuality. Such is generically condemned. 
is uh, in the usage of the term fornicators. Fornication is a generic term referring to any and all type of biblically unauthorized sexual activity of which fornication is one specific type. I think he meant a, a homosexuality is one specific type. Such is also condemned in the usage of the term effeminate. Uh, and he gives the Greek word mal- malakoi. Lydell and Scott, Greek lexicon, indicates a number of ideas that would be condemned in this usage. The term effeminate describes that of indulgence, cowardly, soft, feminine type activity applied to males. This would definitely apply to homosexuality. All right. Um, and then uh, Mani says that these verses clearly condemn homosexuality. All right. So I don't think there's any getting around. The, so the, the two texts cited were 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1. I, I think 1 Corinthians 6 is just, I mean, I don't know how you misunderstand that. Now, look at another. I think these two are probably the strongest two texts in the New Testament on this subject. Romans 1, beginning verse 26, the King James Version says, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Which was meat. Um, the English Standard Version, if it helps, a little different translation here, maybe more modern translation. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Again, I think you'd have to have help misunderstanding that. Mm-hmm. Pretty straightforward. Um, that's that that in that passage there, Jacob, in that section of Romans chapter one, Paul is describing the the sinful pagan Gentile world. And among their sins was the sin of homosexuality. Yeah, and Dwight says that, that not only those who practice this, but also those who give their approval of it are going to be condemned. Yeah, when you skip down to verse 32, it, and, and we've got an ad that you did a long time ago. Yeah. If, you take, if you take pleasure in or approve those kinds of sins, that's also condemnable. Uh, Jim says, uh, Romans 1, 26 and 27, speaks of those women to change the natural use of which is against nature, and likewise the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their own lust one to another, men working with men, that which is unseemly, which would be speaking of both men and women leaving the natural order of sexual relations established by God. Um, and so uh, we'll take the, the, there's another comment for the next one. Okay. So, yeah. and, and Kent in Georgia says these verses, Romans 1, 26 and 27, these verses definitely condemn homosexuality in both men and women, women adopting vile affections, changing their natural use, which is against nature, men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lust for other men. Human sexuality is a part of God's divine economy with men having a woman as his wife and the woman having a man as her husband. Even the husband-wife relationship is based upon what God has authorized in his word. Colossians 3, 17, 2 John, verses 9 through 11. All right. So uh, we don't believe that we're misusing those scriptures. Uh, they, we believe they do, in fact, condemn the sin. Again, okay, we, so, we should have, we, and we should have started the program and said we don't, we don't take, you know, we don't have any kind of personal vendetta here against anyone. Uh, we're speaking the truth in love because we believe that God's way is the way that we should follow for our own good. We're not, we have no hatred or ill, Ill will towards anyone mentioned in Romans chapter six, all of those. I mean, I have no ill will towards the, the thief or the, or the drunkard or, or anyone there other than I think they need to submit to the will of God. Um, and yeah. we're, we're not, we're not trying to clobber anybody or. So he says uh, these texts have been used as a weapon against uh, the LGBTQ it's, people. It's not a weapon. You know, they're known as clobber texts or texts of terror. But using bi- biblical verses in this way is actually an abuse of Scripture, and it must stop urgently. No. How so is it an abuse of Scripture to use those verses that way when they are so plain and straightforward? As we said, what about the thief there? Can we not use that text to tell or the thief to stop the, if, stealing? What if you got a friend who's cheating on his wife? Or, I mean, is it a clobber text because you go to him and say, hey, listen, you can't do that. That's you a, continue that's a sin. That, you, you won't go to heaven. That's a sin. We've got to stop that. We've got, yeah. to, we've got to submit to God's will. 
you're not you're not doing it because you hate your friend. You're not doing it because you just want to whack him on the head with a scripture. You want to uh, encourage uh, conformance with God's instructions. Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, Kelly mentions that uh, she mentions that text in Romans chapter one, but then also suggests if you go all the way into chapter two, immediately following that text. Um, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4 of Romans, Despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And she mentions uh, uh, that the homosexual sins can be overcome. You know, that's the point there in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul said, Such were some of you. Well, that clearly means that they had given up their homosexual practices. The the implication in our world, not just implication, but the outright teaching in our world is that homosexuals are born that way and they cannot change. It's, it, that it's genetically embedded in their DNA and they can't change from it. Of course, that genetic argument has never been proved. Uh, and the Word of God says, as Kelly mentions, you can come, you can stop doing that sin just like you can stop the sin of thieving or drunkenness. Uh, or adultery. It's a sin of action. It's yeah. not a sin of temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted that way. It's a sin to act on that temptation, just like it wouldn't be someone a sin for someone to be tempted to be a fornicator. The yeah. sin is when you act on that, yeah. uh, and you don't have to. You don't have to act on that uh, that temptation. First uh, Corinthians chapter six verse eleven says you can uh, be uh, cleansed of that. You can be uh, an ex. You can be washed and sanctified, yeah. but you got to stop. Lou in Minnesota says, we're showing love as Jesus commanded. If you let someone continue down the road of sin without trying to stop them, that's not love. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right, Lou. Love is a hijacked term in our society today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Love would be uh, helping someone to see God's will for them. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So, again, we're just trying to, to... study the Bible, learn what it says, and make application. It's not that we have an agenda against homosexuals. It's not that we hate or despise homosexuals. It's just that we need to understand the will of God for us all. If I'm a thief, I need somebody to tell me, stop stealing, because yeah. you're going to go to hell if you if yeah. you don't stop stealing. And and so in love, we want to tell the homosexual, God's word speaks out against that, identifies it as a sinful act, and you must stop doing that if you want to go to heaven. They're not saying anybody has any justification to be mean or rude or inconsiderate of anyone uh, who, who may be engaged in this sin. What we're saying is you've got to look to what the scriptures say and uh, conform with it. Now, the next point that they made in the article was that, well, and this is a common one. You know, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, so we shouldn't think it's yeah. wrong since Jesus didn't say anything about in it. In the blog that we're referencing, it says, uh, the Bible is often used as a source of authority, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus said nothing explicit about same-sex relationships or transgender people. Uh, in the New Testament, it's Paul who teaches about such sexual uh, sexual morality, not Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah, so I love the argument that was made there because it is so uh, it, it it highlights what we say so much about the scriptures and scriptural authority. Jesus never said anything explicitly against homosexuality. Now, this is what Jim said about it because he did he did such a good job of breaking this down for us. He says um, Jesus did condemn it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And listen to this. You've got to read this carefully. Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. I didn't read anything about homosexuality in there. But he, he did says, speak about marriage. And and by exclusion, he excludes anything other than one man and one woman. He Jesus said God made man as male and female. He then identified that God the Father designated marriage as between a male and a female, and parents as a father and a mother. I, I did, that's an interesting one. The man will leave his father and mother. That's just, the parents are father and mother, not father, father, mother, mother. He says he said um, that a man is to leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. Thus, the only coupling authorized by God is a man and a woman as marriage, male and female, not male and male or female and female. 
So what he's saying here is Jim is making an argument on the silence of the scriptures, that Jesus authorized one thing, and therefore it automatically condemns that which is not authorized. Exactly we right. make that argument on a lot of different things, and people may say, well, that's not valid. Well, if you can see it here, then you've got to see it in these other arguments as well. You know, we make the point about instrumental music. The reason why we don't believe instrumental music is is unauthorized is not because the New Testament says, thou shalt not use instruments of music. But the New Testament tells us what to do. The New Testament mentions singing exclusively. That's the music of the New Testament church is singing. And there's there's no statement. Pro or con about instrumental music, yeah. and we say the silence of the scripture there must be honored. Yeah. When the when the scriptures speak of singing and never mention instruments, we've got to honor that silence. And 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 by the way, it's the same argument we're making about homosexuality. God, uh, Jesus spoke of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a father and a mother. That eliminates any other and, combination. And therefore, by the the principle of silence, other things are excluded. Yeah. All right, uh, so eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You'd like to comment on that? By the way, still there in Matthew nineteen. Um, if you get down to, if you go down a little later in the text, after he'd gone into this discussion a little more thoroughly, his disciples came to him and said, "If that's the case of a man, if if the case of a, of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry." And Jesus said to them, all men cannot receive this saying, uh, save they to whom it's given. For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, were so born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. I think it's kind of interesting. Jesus said, Jesus didn't, didn't, Jesus didn't back away from that. When, they, when the apostle said, that's a hard thing you just taught. He said, that's true. But there is an option. Celibacy. Celibacy. Yeah. And that's what he's meaning when he says those who make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom say, you could just, you could just live a celibate life. That's an option. But the option is not homosexuality. Right. The, the, the option is not as many wives as you care to have, divorce and remarry as many times as you want. Okay. But, uh, so, but, but interestingly, the apostles ex- understood. That's a pretty hard thing. That's a pretty hard rule sure. you're putting on us here. I appreciate the connection, though, that Jim makes there with Jesus. He did condemn it when he said what marriage was and, and what the, the, the constituents uh, for marriage would be. Exactly right. Now, one other really, really key verse, and I think probably our, some of our emailers will mention this. Let me mention in First Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul. Now, remember, our blogger is, is knocking Paul. Paul's the one who said that, not Jesus. And the, the implication is since Jesus didn't speak on it, it was only Paul who said that, you can disregard it. That's just Paul. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So Paul, when Paul spoke, he was, it, it wasn't just Paul speaking. It, those were the commandments of the Lord. And by the way, Jesus, you know, the, the idea Jesus never mentioned the word homosexual. Uh, okay. I mean, that's, that's certainly a legitimate point. But understand that there are a lot of things that are in our New Testament that came by revelation after Jesus left the earth. Jesus said in John 16, beginning verse 12, I have many things yep. to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Yeah. So when Paul spoke by revelation, and he did identify the sin of homosexuality, he was speaking the commandments of the Lord and this is continuing revelation by the Holy Spirit to the inspired apostles. And it's a, it is the way that you argue when you want to discount what God has said is you begin to discredit the Bible. And you try and separate the Bible from God. And then once you separate the Bible from God, then you can form God into any image that you want. And you can say God approves of anything that you want God to approve of when you discount the Bible. And that's why he says here that when you begin to um, use the Bible to argue against something that he wants, that's idolatry or 
whatever, worshiping the Bible instead of God. See, you're starting to cast doubt. Yeah. And you're starting to discredit the Bible. That's almost like what Satan did in Genesis 3. Yeah. When Eve said, well, we've been told that if we eat that fruit, we'll die. Satan says, you're not going to die. That's not what he meant. That's yeah. not that's not really what God meant. Yeah. You start to separate God from his word. Yeah. And then now you can make God accept anything you want him to accept because now he's, well, he's the idol. That you, it's a false God that you've created when you just separate him from the word. But, you know, that's a slippery slope that many are going down without even realizing it when they say, well, I understand the Bible says this, but I'm not going to honor it there. I understand the Bible says this, but it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to do something else. And people would say, oh, I never would get so far as to discredit everything. Well, what you're doing, you've done is you've begun you to discredit the You open that Bible. door. When you, when you ignore the arguments of biblical authority in one realm, yep. you open the door open to everything, everything. else. Yeah. If you're going to be logically consistent. Let's grab a break. When we come back. We'll catch our, our emailers' comments on that. Get in the chat room. Make your comment. Uh, and then we'll go to the idea of, well, you guys are just picking and choosing. You're not, you, you're picking on the homosexuals and you're ignoring a bunch of other stuff. 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Many churches are now streaming their worship services over the Internet, as we are doing here at College View. This is a very beneficial thing to those who are unable to attend the assemblies due to illness, a sick family member, weather hindrances, and so forth. Lots of folks have commented that this is a real blessing when they are unavoidably absent from the church services. We agree that this is a good thing. However, there are those who have warned, sometimes jokingly and other times seriously, that people might begin to purposely stay at home. Instead of going to the trouble to get dressed, make the trek to the church building, sit on somewhat uncomfortable pews, maybe while wrestling unruly children, just stay home in your comfy pants with a cup of coffee in hand and watch on your computer, your phone, your smart TV. Why not? Here's why not. Live streaming on the Internet does not offer the benefits of being with other worshipers. There are no interactions, no warm greetings, no relationship building as we converse with one another. There's no teaching and admonishing one another in the singing of songs, Colossians 3, verse 16. For while you can sit at home and hear the singing, no one can hear and thus be taught and encouraged by you. It's not possible for you to participate in the mutual edification that worship is designed to accomplish, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, unless you are present in person. The earliest Christians knew the advantages of personally joining with other saints. This started on day one, Acts 2, beginning verse 41 through 47, and continued even in the face of terrible persecution, Acts 5, verses 41 and 42. They surely would not have opted for an easy stay-at-home option. Neither should we. Live streaming is a great thing, but let us be careful not to abuse the opportunity. To deliberately forsake the assembling of ourselves together is wrong, Hebrews 10.25, whether you watch via the Internet or not. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight. Uh, we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We'd love to hear from you anytime at questions at collegeview.com. And Kyle, he was just trying to uh, hes trying to talk down your streaming of our services there. He's, no, yeah, no, it's, he, uh, if he keeps that up, you won't have anybody watching. No, it's a it's a good. If you're not able to come to services, it's a very good tool, but uh, don't use it yeah. as a uh, replacement. Well, for yeah, absolutely. It, well, and I we've got to get our six year old uh, reading the bulletin there, Dan, get that article. Uh, what was yeah, she well, saying? Yesterday, she, she was trying to smoke up a, a, a sore throat. She's been trying to get sick for the whole week. For some reason, she she says she gets better service when she's sick. <laughs> but she said, uh, "I said now, Emily, if you." Uh, if you have a sore throat, you won't be able to go to Bible classes. Oh, we'll just put it up on the screen over there. <laughs> I said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. So she's got to start reading that bulletin. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. All right, we're going to have to hustle here. We're going to get way into this and not have enough time to finish. Um, so you covered what Jim said. Uh, he, he did go on to also say, Paul was an apostle, one sent personally by Jesus to take his message to the Gentiles. He was given the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 13, verses 2 through 4. Uh, as such, uh, he could impart those spiritual gifts to others. Um, 
And he says uh, uh, the, the pattern we find in Scripture is that Jesus spoke what the Father wanted taught, John eight twenty six. Jesus said the apostles would also uh, only speak what the Father wanted them to teach, and he references John fourteen twenty six, John sixteen thirteen. All who were thus guided by the Holy Spirit spoke what the Father wanted. The Bible then is truly the Word of God, Second Timothy three sixteen. To suggest that Paul was speaking without authority is to deny the words of Jesus himself. All right, and Dwight in Iowa says Paul, as an apostle of Christ, was given the authority to teach those things that he was told by the Holy Spirit and taught by others. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be followers of me uh, as I am of Christ. Even Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God, that God it is God-breathed. All right. Thank you, Dwight, for your good comments there. Tonight. All right. Uh, Kent says the condemnation yeah. of sin is not limited to explicit statements in the Bible. Implicit teaching is just as authoritative as explicit teaching. Jesus did condemn the sin of homosexuality. By usage, uh, usage of the general term of fornication, pornea, as found in Matthew 5.3 and 19, Matthew 19.9. The case being that Paul was an apostle of Christ, he taught no differently than Jesus Christ. Uh, he references Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. All right. And, and uh, Monty uh, said in Matthew 15.19, Jesus condemns fornication. Homosexuality is a type of fornication. First uh, Thessalonians two thirteen, Paul's teachings are said to be the word of God. First Corinthians fourteen thirty seven, Paul's writings are the Lord's commands. Second Peter three sixteen, Peter says that Paul's letters are scripture. Therefore, Jesus did explicitly condemn homosexuality through the inspired teaching of Paul. All right, and on we go. Okay, we got to hurry. the The next question is, and I think this was pretty easily answered in that blog that we read earlier. The argument was made that we pick and choose, that we mix and match, choosing to condemn homosexuals while ignoring sins like adultery, greediness, and drunkenness, which are actually in the same list. Uh, how would you reply? My reply is the extent to which we do that, we are wrong. So, and I don't think we do. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stand here and say I think that's a false accusation. But if we are guilty of that, then it's wrong. There are some churches that are, yeah, because they are they are permitting adulterous. Marriages. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. We've tried to make it before in the verse Bible study. If you look the other way on unscriptural marriages between a man and a woman, uh, unscripturally divorced and remarried people, if you look the other way on that, then the homosexuals have a great argument to use against you. Why are you ignoring that sexual sin, but you're, but you're pounding on me about this sexual sin? Yeah, you remember that quote that we had where the, this, preacher had said i can't condemn it anymore because i've been turning the other way on the adulterous marriages so i can't condemn the homosexual marriages yeah he was being logically consistent and you've got to be yeah uh here's what dwight says i can't speak for others but when i try when i teach on the subject i try to stick to the point i'm speaking on even although i when i use verses like first corinthians chapter six or galatians five and speaking of a certain sin i do point out that no matter the sin all sin will, will condemn us i also make known as paul said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god Jim says Christians are to be on guard to teach against all sin, not just those that we find the most abhorrent. However, those who are the most vocal in pushing back against the Bible are those to whom we spend most of our time challenging and rebuking. If a man rails against the Bible because he likes alcohol and rejects the scriptures, then you respond by teaching what the Bible says about drunkenness. A man may be, uh, uh, a man may be in the sin of lying, but if he hides his sin and refuses to speak about it or defend it, then it's not normal to rebuke him, seeing you know nothing about it. Uh, the LBGTQ crowd are the ones most vocal today, so that seems to be the area most discussed. It is true that we would be hypocritical to ignore adultery, fornication, immodesty, drunkenness, and so forth. We are to teach all the scripture, but the human actions dictate what areas we think best to rebuke according to what is being promoted. And so Jim's making the point, actually, because the homosexual community is so aggressively promoting their agenda, they are bringing out a strong response, necessarily so. And, and boy, I tell you what, the, our, uh, the pulpit here would get be on fire if someone came in and said, I'm a liar. And, and, and I'm not going to quit. Uh, it's just the way I am. Yeah. Or, or I'm a, I'm an adulterer and that's, and, and I, we're, we're, we love our adultery and we don't want to change. 
that pulpit's going to get real hot yeah. on adultery, and the adulterers are not going to feel very comfortable in the pews. Yeah. Kent says, uh, we who are following the New Testament pattern do not pick and mix the scriptures. Adultery, greed, and drunkenness are also sinful. We just as strongly oppose those sins as we do homosexuality. Monty says, conservative, faithful Christians condemn all sin, sinful practices equally. We strive to declare the whole counsel of God. And Moan up in Illinois says, I think it is true that some put homosexuality above other things. For example, the cost to be a disciple or follower of Jesus is often minimized in the evangelical community, not putting Christ first above family, careers, etc. Just as much separates us from God as does homosexuality. So Moan says, yeah, he could see it happening where there isn't as much focus. And it, maybe it is easier to focus on sins that aren't an issue for you. I mean, yeah. it's, a lot more, it's a lot more comfortable. Sure, sure, sure. Hey, let's talk about something that doesn't uh, doesn't. You know, I, I, I'm not tempted with alcohol at all. Yeah, let's talk about so it. So let's pound on that sin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so greed, uh, well, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. It's not that. Uh, yeah. Covetousness. Good, good point, Mohan. I think that's a fair point. Uh, I got a late email from Daniel in Florida. Uh, and he says on this point, this is earlier ones because it didn't come in in time, but he says on this question, he says, we must consistently keep all the commands of God or we are looking, or we are fooling ourselves, James 1, 21 and 22. Uh, we could not condemn murder if, if we ignore God's rules. So in other words, whatever God condemns, we got to condemn. All right. So now we need to get a break. And when we get back, the Church of England is taking a hard line on this, and they're becoming Ill, irrelevant, and people are leaving the church. What about that? What about that? So should they, should they modify their stand because they're losing people right and left? 877-381-4567. We're back right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist, but that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening The door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only if you have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. According to a recent study, if a child is not regularly religiously active by the age of 12, The odds of them getting active drops dramatically in their teen years and beyond. The research indicates that adults who attended church regularly as children are nearly three times as likely to be attending a church as adults compared to their peers who avoided church during childhood. In other words, parents who truly want the best for their children should get their children involved at church now and maintain the practice. That information is via Barna Research Group. The Word of God says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, we're going to go to the top of the hour. Now, the Church of England said they're experiencing significant declines in their uh, numbers. Yeah, here's, here's what the blogger said about that. Uh, one of the yardsticks for measuring how in touch the Church of England is with the contemporary life lies in the ongoing discussion about the acceptance and inclusion of LGBTQ people in the church. Uh, the current situation shows the diminishing authority of the church and the Bible in everyday life in the UK. The Church of England faces a generational crisis with only 2% of young people identifying with it in England. Uh, the decline points to how the church's current position is seemingly hostile and incompatible with socially liberal views, particularly those toward LGBTQ people. 
Kyle, the church is losing uh, members because of a hardline stance. Time to soften up. That's what he's saying. Well, that's what, yeah, well, I'm asking well, Kyle. It's a little time bit. to soften up. <laughs> well, man, it's a little bit late though. It's, in many okay. ways, it's, <laughs> it's, they've, they've cracked the door on many, on so many things. The hypocrisy and they're yeah, yeah, why yeah. harden on this issue when they haven't so many other well, things. That sounds like what so, Jim says. Jim says the Church of England is irrelevant not because it's rebuking homosexuality, because it does not conform to Scripture in all areas. That's what you said, Kyle. The Church of England has a queen, the queen, as it said, not and not Christ. The Church of England makes its doctrine based on the consensus of its bishops instead of basing it solely on what the Bible says. The Church of England is not relevant because it uses human logic to determine its doctrine instead of God's word. So, yeah, he says it's not relevant, not because of this, but it's not relevant because it's not because they they sure. already compromised on lots of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Kent says several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to England on two different occasions to preach in meetings. During both of these trips, I had the opportunity to visit with individuals who had left the Church of England and obeyed the gospel of Christ. They affirmed the, the factuality concerning the state Church of England was becoming very irrelevant in the culture of the United Kingdom. Such was the case based upon the fact that many of the members of the state church had totally renounced any claim on following the Bible, and many of even their priests were atheists, agnostics, and infidels. Many of those identified with the Church of England really did not oppose any form of immorality and were accepting adultery and fornication even with homos- even where homosexuality was practiced. All right. Um, Monty says the Church of England has failed to stay within the bounds of scriptural authority and is therefore causing itself to be irrelevant. If it wanted to be relevant, it would only follow the Bible. Okay. but uh, And so I think all of those uh, emails are correct. But think about the implication of this view. So we're losing people because we're condemning homosexuality, and that's seen as... Uh, Ugly, belligerent, unnecessarily aggressive. We need to we need to tone that down. Okay, now if you're going to do that, if that's going to be your approach, then you got to be consistent with your approach, and you're going to have to say the same thing about drunkenness. Well, churches are doing that, aren't they? Well, it's true. Uh, but you're going to have to take the, you're going to have to take that same approach about uh, um, other forms of sexual sin, adultery. Oh, well, churches are doing that, aren't they? Yeah. But here's, here's, I mean, here's where you're going to get this pick and choose business. What about the sexual sin of pedophilia? Are we going to look the other, we're going to have to, we're going to have to start looking the other way out because if you preach against that, then those who are engaged in that sin are not going to want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. But we find that repulsive. So, you know, I think, I think that the blogger himself is actually suggesting we're going to need to pick and choose and we got to stop we got to stop picking things that our culture wants to accept. If the culture wants to accept it, then we got to look the other way. He's the one who is advocating for picking and choosing your your moral stands, not us. We're trying to say we're going to take our moral stand where the Bible does. He's saying you, you, it's a moving target. You're going to have to take your moral stands based upon which way the wind is blowing. Uh, what the what are the poll what does the poll data say uh and and the, 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 that's just a completely unworkable approach Jesus teachings were not popular and they cost him a lot of followers in John chapter 6 yep. uh verse 66 from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more and he, uh, he Jesus uh, uh, said to the 12 will you also go away um so Jesus is Jesus was going to preach it the way it was and then let people either decide if they wanted to conform and follow or just reject. Um, and the church needs to be the same way. Um, Daniel in Florida said, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews thirteen eight nine. 9. We need not be carried away with various doctrines. All right. So I think Thank that, you know, my thinking is of all of this that we've discussed, and I, to me that's probably the most troubling is, you know, if if society's going this way, then we we are not here to oppose societal trends. Not an anchor. We're supposed to just drift along with them. Yeah. Well, what what advantage is that? Where will that ultimately Talk lead? Talk about irrelevancy and total moral anarchy. Yeah. I mean, we, we won't be able to stand for anything. 
If we if we employ that mindset, the the the, the majority rules. Exactly right. Yeah. All right. Uh, how much time we got? Well, we got five minutes. Real quick. Uh, you know, I, I just thought I would throw out this old argument that the you want to know how how much the homosexuals would like to twist the scripture. They make an argument that. That homosexuality was not the sin of Sodom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me read a quote. This comes from uh, Homosexuality, What Does the Bible, What the Bible Does and Does Not Say by the Universal Fellowship Press. Quote, the people, the, the, to say that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for homosexuality is to misinterpret the scriptures. uh, it says the people of Sodom broke the law of hospitality to strangers, which was so religiously observed in their culture. Uh, even if the folk of Sodom did make a homosexual attack upon angels, the passage could only serve as a condemnation of rape or certainly extreme form of inhospitality, which is certainly an extreme form of inhospitality. Uh, and so basically the argument is that the sin of of Sodom was that they were inhospitable to strangers. They weren't kind to those who came to their city. Uh, they were actually angels, but uh, the men of Sodom didn't know that. Uh, uh, but you know that. Uh, interestingly, the 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 text in Genesis 18 actually uh, denies that. Uh, Actually, it's in chapter uh, chapter Genesis 19. Uh, they in verse five it says they called unto Lot and said to him, "Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them." Now they argue that the word "know" there doesn't mean carnal knowledge. They just we just want to know them. Well, isn't that an act of hospitality? I mean, they can't they can't have it both ways here. But the text says, "Bring them out that we may know them." Well, then they were being hospitable. Or if it means bring them out that we may have carnal knowledge of them, then that's the sin of homosexuality. Their argument that the sin was in hospitality doesn't hold up in the text. Well, and uh, Dwight references Jude verse 7, uh, which, which says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Uh, and then he cited reference to Second Peter two verse seven. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. So both of those indicate uh, uh, the idea of homosexuality. And then Monty Monty just sort of discredits all. He says the sin of Sodom is irrelevant because we're living under the New Testament law of Jesus, not the patriarchal law. The New Testament clearly teaches that homosexuality is a sin. So we don't. Go to. We don't have to prove our case. We don't do that. Yeah. I mean, we don't say it's it's wrong. Prove our case from Sodom. We don't say it's wrong because God destroyed Sodom for it. That was under a different time. Yeah. And we yeah. So normally we say it's wrong to look over your shoulder because he turned his Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. Different time, different different law. But under the New Testament, it's clearly condemned. Daniel says, Jude 7 says, they went after strange flesh. Genesis 9, 7 says, it calls what the men of Sodom did or what they wanted to do a wicked thing. Lot said, don't do this wickedness. Uh, so, uh, again, I think Monty's point's well taken. It's not necessarily critical that we prove one way or the other about Sodom, but... It's it is clear what happened there. There's just no doubt about it. All right, uh, and Jim agrees as well. Um, he, he references that idea of knowing the guest. So, all right, good discussion tonight. Uh, we're out well, a lot, lot of comments. We didn't get to them all. Apologies, but uh, uh, you know, I think this is really a worthy discussion. Not just because of the sin of homosexuality. I mean, obviously, we've got to speak about that. But t- be, we got to be consistent. And if you're going to if you're going to use the scripture and try to base an argument upon biblical authority against the practice of homosexuality, then you've got to be consistent and use that same approach of biblical authority in every, all matters. All, every aspect of your life, Kyle. So you've got to be consistent. If I want to read something that says oh, you can't do that. And I say, well, it's, it, that doesn't really matter. Then then this doesn't matter either. It's an all or nothing proposition. Yes. I mean, if we if we let the world, if we let it just take it piece by piece, if we let it just chip away at all these little sins, all these sins, if we think that all these the sins that are named uh, in Corinthians and Romans, that it's, it, those don't matter. You know, but what does matter in the word? We just make sure that we're 
We got to take everything, it all. Everything, everything yeah. matters, or yeah. nothing. Everything or nothing. Exactly. Good point. I just got a real late email from Deborah, who mentions uh, about what Paul taught, First Corinthians fourteen thirty-seven that we mentioned earlier. Uh, Paul says the things he writes are the commandments of the Lord. So it's not from Paul, but from the Lord. I appreciate that, Deborah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sending that comment tonight. Kyle, thanks for being here to help us get it out on the air tonight. Yeah, it was a good program. And, and we need to reiterate that this we're, we don't have animosity towards anyone practicing any sin. Uh, we do encourage all who are not in a, a agreement with God's word, whether it be this sin or any sin, to repent. We're all sinners. We've all violated God's will, and we all are striving to align with what God's told us to do. Exactly right. Absolutely. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Dad, for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Appreciate you being here. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.